subject to authority or covering. She's not subject to authority or covering and therefore, in other words, she is an authority unto herself. Authority unto herself and uh, that is the essence of what rebellion is. The Bible defines rebellion as being an authority unto oneself and not being subject to any other authority. Am I still on? Okay. So that's the progression, guys. Her name was Abizabel, which means my father Baal is noble. From there, the Hebrew writers deliberately dropped a letter because of the personality she had and the person she was and started calling her Jezebel, which means lacks honor. And to lack honor, uh, in the case of a woman in those days, was to have no one covering her. She was unhusbanded. And so uh, the intent was to convey the sense that here was a woman who was not subject to authority, who had no covering and was an authority unto oneself. So the spirit of Jezebel uh, will always bring forth in a congregation, in a person, in a household, this sense of not being subject to divine order, not being subject to authority. There'll be always a strong, strong streak of stubborn rebellion whenever the spirit of Jezebel is active. In a church, in a household, in a person's life. Because remember, a spirit affects at different levels. It affects households of God. It affects houses, marriages, homes, and it affects individuals. So one of the things that you will see uh, when the spirit of Jezebel is operating is this uh, sense of rebellion that comes up. Any questions on that before we move on? Because when you actually study uh, Jezebel, you uh, see that the spirit is so potent, which is why it is one of the most active spirits in churches today. And in sometimes in homes too, but in churches, absolutely. North America, oh, you have no idea. Not that it isn't present in the rest of the world, but uh, in the North American context, it is so visible. You read about Jezebel first in 1 Kings 16, verses 31 onwards, where it is said that uh, she was the daughter of Ethbal, who was a Sidonian king or a Sidonian priest king. 1 Kings 16:31 first talks about it. No, sorry, Lorian, any questions? Okay. So she, she was the daughter of a Sidonian uh, king, priest king called Ethbal. And so by being the daughter of a Sidonian priest king, she was in turn a princess and a priestess and was skilled in sorcery and divination. Which is again why when we, we the first thing we said that this was that the spirit has, uh, uh, comes with a strong streak of rebellion. And what does 1 Samuel 15.23 say? Rebellion is akin to witchcraft. So it is natural that this woman should come from a line of practicing priests um, who were skilled at sorcery and divination.
So the second thing the Spirit introduces into lives, into marriages, into homes, and into the church is uh, divination. And we'll talk about what divination is next. Uh, that's the second thing that comes in. So there's rebellion and then there's divination. Remember guys, rebellion is always a breaking of divine order. There is divine order in church, there is divine order in a home, uh, there is order in a person's life too that can be broken. And this spirit has an ability to ferment rebellion against what is established as divine order. So in a church, it would be continuous strife and rebellion against um, those that are operating in authentic authority, not in um, borrowed authority, not in uh, usurped authority, but in authentic authority. In a home, it will be in terms of, uh, uh, and always remember, in a church, everybody is equal. We are all equal. But just as in the Godhead, which is equal, there is the first among equals. In a church, it's the same way. Divine order is established through mere humans like you and I. So whenever I hear people saying, oh, only the Holy Spirit teaches me, I immediately identify a problem there because there is pride there. If I come to you and say, when you start telling me something that I am not ready or open to right now, if I turn around to you and say, oh, it's only God who teaches me, you know, I really have a problem then. It's not that, uh, sure, God teaches, but who does God use to teach? People. So when we say, I only learn from the Holy Spirit, what you're saying is, you ain't going to tell me nothing. It's sheer pride, man. So one cannot afford to come up with that line that I only learned from the Holy Spirit. Great, I'm glad for you, but the Holy Spirit uses faulty, inadequate individuals like James and Diana. Jacob in that list? Uh, I said faulty, inadequate. I couldn't put me in that list, could you? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, yes, this is true. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Just remember that. So divine order will always be uh, come against by this particular spirit. Uh, one of the strange things that happened in Shillong, that place I was showing you, uh, is that Shillong is the only province in all of India that has a matriarchal society. A matriarchal society. Which is okay. I, I'm okay with the women getting the possessions. I'm fine with that. Because in every other condition, every other place in India, the parent works their entire life so that they can store up what's called a dowry for the woman. And you've got to give this dowry to the guy to get your daughter married. The daughter does not get anything from the house. Everything goes to the son. So uh, I think that stinks. And I'm not in agreement with that. And it's a sad thing that a woman has to be literally given to another uh, to her um, um, groom with tons of money. So that is fine. But when society is matriarchal, you break divine order. Because even though husband and wife are absolutely equal and are supposed to be mutually submissive to each other, the husband is first among equals. And when you turn that upside down, you will have a society that will be dysfunctional. And so you have Hundreds and hundreds of Christian households in Shillong where um, the men are alcoholic, the men are abused, the men have uh, left their houses and walked away and are not taking the rightful place. Because 
it's not a society that allows that. Uh, where if you, let's assume I have a daughter, she's my youngest daughter, and you marry my youngest daughter, then you will come and live in my house and take care of me because my daughter is the one who is, uh, it's the other way around. So, you, yeah, so you come into my house, you take care of my, you take care of your wife's parents, you, the wife's mother then becomes the one who is the head of the house. So while I, f I have absolutely no problem with the woman getting all the possessions and the woman receiving money to get married, I, I, I'd vote for that, honestly. Um, there is a problem and the order is reversed. Yeah, and if it is, it's a problem. See, when you break divine order, and the spirit of Jezebel will bring faulty order. That's one of the things it does. Okay, so the, the sorcery and divination is part of who Jezebel was. And divination then is uh, the next thing we are going to deal with. Divination is, uh, let's take a New Testament passage. If you look at uh, Acts 16.16, 16, Acts 16.16, 16, all the scriptures are given on top of your page. When you look at Acts 16.16, 16, you see that Paul was uh, being followed by a slave girl who wasn't saying anything really harmful. She kept declaring that these are the servants of the Most High God and they bring the message of salvation. That's what Paul kept shouting out in Acts 16.16. 16. And yet, at one point, Paul gets quite disconcerted with the whole thing. I think the word he uses is quite distressed or irritated. He didn't want to rip her head off, but he was irritated enough to turn around and cast the spirit out. So, um, witchcraft works or comes into the church as the spirit of divination. And the spirit of divination is a subtler, if that's an English word, it's a subtler or more subtle disguised yet dangerous yet dangerous form of witchcraft. And can only be spotted through discernment. And can only be spotted through discernment. So we... So guys, there's a progression here. So it might be hard to keep track of. So I might just repeat it a couple of times. We said that Jezebel is a spirit. We said that Jezebel means unhusbanded one or one who refuses to submit to any authority. We said that anyone uh, who refuses to submit to authority and is an authority unto oneself is, uh, is someone who foments rebellion. Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel, foments rebellion in the household of God, in your house, and in individual lives. Rebellion is akin to witchcraft. She came from a pedigree of uh, priest kings who practiced sorcery, and divination and witchcraft and in scripture it is indicated that she was a princess priestess herself skilled in sorcery as mentioned in second kings 9 which we'll come to later and so rebellion is akin to witchcraft so how does uh, witchcraft operate in the church uh, no church no no decent church will openly practice witchcraft 
But witchcraft has another way of coming in. It comes in in the form of divination. And divination is a subtle, more disguised, yet dangerous form of the same, of witchcraft, and can only be spotted through discernment. So let's kind of define divination a little more. Uh, okay, I, I'm not sure where the scripture is, but let me know once you find it. Yeah, 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 yeah. just let me know. Uh, divination is the ability to extract and foretell secrets of God. Divination is the ability. Now, this is not a Christian definition. It's just a definition. Divi- divination is the ability to extract and foretell the secrets of so-called gods. That's what divination is. So you have to first manipulate the spirit world, extract from the spirit world secrets or mysteries, and then you have to foretell it. That's the whole idea of divination. This girl who was following Paul in Acts chapter 16 was through um, certain means divining or extracting information from the spirit world that these ones who had come were servants of the Most High God and that they were preaching a way of salvation. Surprisingly nice message. Uh, Would seem to be an endorsement. And yet, Jesus very clearly said when he was on the earth that he did not need the demons to endorse him or speak for him. Because whenever the demonic world endorses you, know that it's a setup and there's a big, big fall waiting. And in fact, the moment Paul opposes this particular spirit, you know what happens, right? He was doing fine. They beat him and put him in chains and throw him into prison. Because when this spirit is confronted, it usually has um, a, a tendency to rise up. Just so you know, we'll come there a little later. So, today, uh, in how does divination express itself in church? Through false doctrine. Through false doctrine, false prophecy, false systems of when I say false systems, I mean thousands and thousands of churches are operating on faulty systems or structures. False systems or structures. Which have... False prophecy is when someone prophesies things either for a church or for a person that did not come from God and is actually error. That does not mean it's a false prophecy. But it is possible for a prophecy to be false because it does not come from the Spirit of God. But it is something that comes from error. You see that on TV a lot. You see, I've seen outright false prophecies on some of the um, uh, some of the reputed Christian TV channels where people come and say stuff that is uh, that that is an outright lie, and most of it is usually to get money. Most of it is to get money. False systems, uh, false order. And false derivations, as in they derive false conclusions from uh, things that happen from 
uh, let me put in another one false signs when i went to shillong they took me to they showed me a church uh, where long ago the welsh revival had started and um, they the church has become quite famous because there's a cross in that church that begins to bleed so now people are flocking to that church hindus muslims are flocking to that church because the cross lights up and it starts bleeding. Pardon? It did, but for that one, eight or nine months, it was ridiculous. Christ was not being presented. There's an outward sign that was drawing people, but it was not a raising up of Christ. It was raising up of a false notion of Christianity. And they said that the church didn't know what to do and they mismanaged it so badly that it caused more shame to, the, to Christianity in Chilong than any good. So, today, divination, which is an extracting of so-called supernatural mysteries through um, uh, contact with things that are false, and then foretelling it, operates in these areas in the church where you see false doctrine, you see false prophecy, you see false systems set up in church for its operation, you see false order where the way a church is governed is ridiculous, and has nothing to do with the Bible. You see false derivations, meaning false conclusions that derive from things that happen or that from the word, and false signs and wonders where you have feathers and gold dust and all kinds of silly things happening. And it's all contrived. Oh, it's all um, supposedly uh, God when it has nothing to do with God. So this is quite active in church. Yeah, my people perish for the lack of knowledge. So one of the reasons... it uh, For things that are false to... Uh, things that are false have to rise not from the Spirit of God. Anything that is false has to rise from a spirit other than the Spirit of God. That we are not able to discern it, maybe because of a lack of an ability to um, exercise a gift, or because of ignorance. But it does emanate from a spirit that is false. A false prophecy comes from a spirit of deception. Oh, no, no. I didn't say that. I said that it is possible for a prophetic word to be spoken. And it, will sti it may still not come to pass. And it, it, it's a true word. But it still doesn't come to pass because of multiple reasons. One, a person may not accept it. If you do not believe it, you will not be established. Two, a person does not f war with it. Paul says to Timothy, war with the word that has been spoken over you. Meaning, take it, grasp it, and now begin to work with it. Three, a person may not uh, walk in it for years because he chooses to be lazy and uh, doesn't want to walk in it fully. Four, it might be partially fulfilled. Uh, as in the case of Saul, King Saul, in the case of Jonah, the reluctant prophet, things that were spoken by God, God were partially fulfilled. And there is someone like Paul in the Bible, in whose life all the prophecies got fulfilled. So, just because a prophetic word does not come to pass, does not mean that the word is false. It may also be for a later date. Sometimes, it's, thank God, Abraham didn't uh, get phased 
with the prophecy given over him because it took 25 years for Isaac to happen. Part of the reason could have been that he was not cooperating with God but instead was cooperating with Hagar. So, because the word does not happen doesn't necessarily mean that it is false. This is why we need to discern that which is false. You discern false prophecy. You wait and you discern it. Yeah, itching. Yeah. Uh, often said intentionally. When it's not said intentionally, it's called a non-prophecy. Uh, I've talked about this before, but there's a nowadays in church there are three categories: there are true prophecies, there are false prophecies. True and false prophecies can be spotted pretty easily. But nowadays there's something called a non-prophecy. A non-prophecy is neither true nor is it false. It's a bunch of nice words strung together and spoken. So it's best to just call it nice words that I want to say to you, James. So it's not necessarily false, but it didn't necessarily come from the heart of God. It came from my reading yesterday and my desire and good wishes for you. Yeah, my, 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 my sanctified soul spoke it. <laughs> so that's non-prophecy. That non-prophecy is okay. It's just that there's a tendency to just go on in non-prophecy. So that's how you see that. So um, the, the problem with these six or seven things I've written down is all of them seem kosher uh, if you don't have discernment. You won't know that doctrine is defective unless you have two things going for your discernment and uh, the knowledge of the word. You won't know false prophecy unless you have discernment. You won't know false systems unless you have a knowledge of the word and discernment. You won't know false order till you have knowledge of what the word says. You won't uh, ha- you will have false derivations if you don't have the knowledge of the word and you will not be able to handle false signs if you don't have a knowledge of the world and word and don't have discernment. Uh, guys, some of the things we see on TV are so false. And these are reputed, reputed men of God who are operating in a spirit that is false. I'm not saying they're always operating in it, but they've opened themselves sufficiently now to be operating in things that are false. None of them intended to start that way, but that's where they are right now. As I said, in Acts 16.16, 16, the woman with the spirit of divination was saying all the right things on the surface, but was setting up the situation. Paul had to deal with it. And though uh, there was a fallout when Paul confronted the spirit, there was no shame brought to the gospel because he dealt with it immediately. Had Paul not said anything, remember an endorsement from the demonic world for a preacher of the gospel is not going to be healthy. Because Jesus very clearly said that a kingdom divided cannot stand. And he said that Satan's kingdom is not divided. It's very together. Guess what the uh, spirit of divination was known as in Greek? We talked about this many moons ago. The spirit of divination in Acts 16.16 was called the That's the Greek equivalent of the name. And uh, supposedly Apollos had 
um, um, put to death Python and taken on the predictive uh, properties of the Python spirit for himself. And so um, there was even a place in Greece where there used to be this big cave and people used to go there because they could hear strange hissings coming from the cave. And they would go there to have prophecies spoken to them. And the priests would then imp interpret the hissing that came from the cave. And so the spirit of Python is what the spirit of divination is called in Greek. So some of the older Bibles may have spirit of Python instead of spirit of um, divination. Uh, guys, why is this important? Why bring it up? Because one of the things that happens with the spirit of divination, which again is another name for Jezebel, is that the spirit of divination has the ability to come into a church and over a period of time slowly coil around the church and through these faults would begin to squeeze out the life of God in the church. While at the same time whispering falsehoods. It has the ability to squeeze the God life out of people while whispering false doctrine, fomenting rebellion, both moral and divine. Yeah. Any questions? Why do we need to um, uh, know this now? One, because ignorance is not bliss. It is really stupid to stay in ignorance. And the devil has no respect for ignorance. Two, because this has to do with the church and it has to do with your household. And so, being informed allows us to take an informed stance against it. In this church, there have been two or three occasions when I've had to deal with this. Talk about it later, but not talk about it in detail, but talk about it later. And we'll talk about how to deal with this. But the thing is, be aware. Be aware of what enters your house in terms of falsehoods. Uh, I'd say that when required, the Holy Spirit can um, have it rise in you for the occasion as warranted. Some may have it um, more active in their lives than others. But I'd say this would be present for you in your household or in this church whenever required. Anyone else? Any questions? Comments? Um, difference of opinion? Strangely enough, for any of this to happen in a church or in your house, um, Jezebel, again remember it's a progression, Jezebel um, uncovered one authority unto oneself, rebellion is equal to witchcraft, which is the same as divination. All of them are coming from the same source called Jezebel. That's why this is potent. Now, strangely enough for Jezebel to enter into a household be it yours or be it this church, it has to be allowed by someone in power. Power. Yeah. Because Jezebel entered Israel through Ahab, the king of Israel. Jezebel has to come in through an alliance with someone in power. So, uh, who would Jezebel target most in this church? Wah. Yeah. 
So uh, this is why these are some of the things you have to specifically pray for. That um, Father, give us the discernment to know when any such thing is happening. And uh, we pray for those who are leaders so that they do not succumb to um, any form of seduction of this uh, spirit, be it rebellion, be it immorality, be it whatever. Because Jezebel could not enter Israel till Ahab decided that for political reasons he would marry Jezebel. And the moment he married the princess priestess daughter of a king called Ethbal of Sidon, the moment he did that, he now caused this woman to enter into his household. In Revelations 2, when Jesus is talking to the church, he uses the same words. He says, you have allowed Jezebel to enter the church. And it is suggested by scholars that Jezebel there, who is referred to as a prophetess, and could have been an actual woman, entered the church um, through one of the elders, or was the wife of one of the elders. That's what some scholars suggest. Meaning, it always seeks to enter through the power mongers, power brokers, or leadership in a church. Which is why boards of churches are some of the most Jezebel-corrupted institutions on the face of the earth. Let me say that again, so that I'm not, I don't mince a word. Boards, church boards, are some of the most influenced, contaminated, Jezebel-corrupted institutions in the world. Because this spirit always goes for power brokers, power mongers, and those that are in leadership. And most churches are not equipped to resist and so they open themselves up to it and here's the strange thing that happens you can have a church that for 50 years has had the same problems even though multiple leaders have died the problem remains why because we're not dealing with humans we're dealing with a spirit that has allowed entry and now refuses to leave because no one comes up to stop it in a house it is the same way in your marriage and your home, the same thing can happen. Where once this spirit is given room through you as the husband or through one of the spouses, then now for years the children will continue it. I have seen this. I remember being at a funeral for a man who was 75 or 80 who had given me um, whatever was required to go uh, to Bible school and all this stuff. And I remember standing there and listening to his sons. And the sons turned out either to be extremely compliant or extremely controlling. In the, in the same mode of the father who was one of the most controlling people I've ever seen in my life. I have no reason to dislike him. He was kind to me. But man, I have never seen as much evil control stored in one man. And I call it evil control. Yeah, because we'll be talking about that. Oh yeah, he was a believer. Um, both. Both. It takes one man to stand up against the spirit and things can change. But the, but the ability of the spirit to intimidate, to manipulate and to control is so intense that people like Elijah fled. So it is very hard to stand up against the spirit. And because no one dares to stand up, because most people flee, the spirit can stay in an institution or in a home for 
two, three generations, four, five generations. I have seen this in churches. I have seen this in churches. I'm on tape, so I won't say much. So Jezebel when is, has to be allowed into the church to begin with. But once allowed into the church, here are some of the things Jezebel will bring into the church. One of the things, I'm just, this is not in any particular order. One of the ch- things Jezebel will bring into a church is a lowering of the standards of morality uh, and sexual immorality. So one of the things Jezebel will bring into the church is sexual immorality. How do we come to that conclusion? Because in Revelation 2.20 Jesus, in warning the church, says to the church, you have allowed this woman, Jezebel, who has brought into the church idolatry and sexual immorality. So one of the things that will happen in churches where Jezebel is allowed is that there will be a lowering of standards or there will be an increase in sexual immorality, which will be hidden, but it will still be there. How does idolatry happen through the spirit in the church? Many of the things that will be raised and put on a pedestal will be either man-made traditions or man himself. So it works on two ways. In one hand, it can be one man who has charisma or it can be a man-made tradition that overpowers anything that the Bible has to say. Happens both ways. Sorry? Well, that's a topic we can go down and perhaps have some agreement on. But I won't go down that right now, since we're just around the corner. Here's another thing that um, uh, Jezebel Spirit does in churches. It, um, it, it, it promotes the offering of strange fire. Leviticus 10.1 has the scripture where it says, uh, Nahab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, came up to the altar and offered to God strange fire on the altar. And strange fire is when you do not stay with the prescribed way of creating fire on the altar, but you take a little from the world, a little from here, a little from here, and you mix all the spices and the incenses required for incense and offer it. It's a strange fire. It's not the fire that's prescribed by God. It's in Leviticus 10.1. Jezebel opens the church up to offer strange fire to God. So the church will now be willing or will be agreeable to having things from different religions, things from what is modern, things from um, uh, different cultures, all come into a mix and you present to God that which seems very inclusive, but which is not pure and prescribed. This is not specific to any denomination. This is all across the board once the Spirit comes in. doesn't matter whether you are cutting it charismatic or uh, frozen chosen. It will happen in any church. Could that be like a commercialization of Christian music? In different areas, um, uh, Matt. I mean, from uh, smoke and lights to um, serpent dances in the church. So that all cultures are included. All kinds of things, man. It's so hard to sometimes categorize it because it can run into pages and pages. It's just that we need to be aware in each situation what is strange fire and what is not. It's hard sometimes. As as we get more multicultural, it gets more and more difficult. Uh, 
here's what um, Anne was saying earlier. Jezebel gathers people with itching ears together. Jezebel has the ability to gather people who have itching ears. Because false prophecy and false promises uh, are, are usually slurped up by those who have itching ears. And uh, this is where you have those flesh-pleasing doctrines and prosperity promises and pipe dream prophecies uh, that people just go and eat off. I mean, when I heard that guy, and maybe I've said it here before, standing on TV and saying, uh, the Day of Atonement is close by, and during the Day of Atonement they used to uh, fast for seven days. If you send any multiple of seven, or $7,777, the Lord is going to bless you and I prophesy over you and declare this is the word of God. And old ladies were sending money, $77, out of of the hundred they get, they send 77. And it breaks my heart that these men build their kingdom on that. And he stands there and says, thus says the Lord. And the other man of God who's got him on his program stands and agrees. And he, he knows better. Yeah, I mean, I've said it before. Send your money right now. Don't send it by mail. Because if you send it by mail, the Lord's anointing will disappear. So send it right now. Use your credit card. And the Lord will bless you and prosper you this year. Wicked man that is. The other thing that happens with the spirit of Jezebel is it depletes the resources of the kingdom. It depletes the resources of the kingdom. How does it deplete the resources of the kingdom? Remember what Jezebel did. She had 400 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets of um, Ashtoreth eat at Ahab's table. 850 people in the palace, eating breakfast, lunch and dinner and perhaps having tea at the king's expense. This was the king of Israel who was supposed to serve the God of Israel. And what does he do? He's serving 800 prophets of Baal at his table. It depletes the resources of the kingdom. And the spirit is let into the church. It begins to deplete our resources. You see how potent the spirit is and how this church needs to guard against this happening to me or to you. Jezebel needs an Ahab, guys. Just remember that. And Ahab, how can we... How, who, who, what kind of a guy is Ahab? Ahab is usually indecisive, weak-willed, immature... Uh, has a needs the approval of people, needs the approval of men. Or the applause of men. And uh, is not in the pursuit of God. Or is not pursuing God actively. And has a covetous heart. That's an Ahab. So if I develop any of these qualities, 
you guys better start praying like crazy. If I develop a covetous heart, if I become indecisive and weak-willed, if I, um, if I'm, I, I, instead of maturing and growing, I become immature. If I need your applause and approval, uh, then uh, be careful because you're heading for trouble too. This was who Ahab was. This is why when you have boards of churches that have opened themselves up to Jezebel and then have pastors who come and are immediately put into this situation, the church will be stuck for another 10 years, man. Because to begin with, when pastors come in to a new situation, there's a sense of indecisiveness um, and uh, the need for the approval of men. And if the pastor is not well-to-do, then there is a covetous heart. And all these then become If the pastor is just out of Bible school, there is a tendency to be mature. And then when this happens and they come into a church that already has a board that is being contaminated by the Spirit for over 50 years, uh, it's like almost a no-win situation, man, unless that man becomes a David and slays this Goliath. Yeah, this is so real, guys. Like, I, I, I just can't tell you how, uh, how dominant this is in um, North America for sure, but in other parts of the world equally. Because spirits don't have a particular fancy for cold weather; they operate well in humidity and high temperature too. So, here's the strange thing, guys. I said this already, that it can stay through generations because it's a spirit. But here's the thing that really caught my attention. Um, when Paul cast out the spirit of divination, where was the location? Where was that place where he did that? In Acts 16, when he cast out the spirit of divination, where did it happen? Pardon? In a place of prayer, where? Which city? Which city? Which place? Ephesus. Can you locate it further? Thyatira. He met Lydia at Thyatira. Now go to Revelations 2.18. Revelation 2.18. Who's the letter to? Yeah. Somehow the church established there did not challenge, confront and cast out the spirit the way Paul did. Paul dealt with it when he was in Thyatira. Yet in Revelation 2.18 we find that the same spirit, only the na- Paul cast out the spirit of divination. I'm saying that the spirit of divination and Jezebel are one and the same or the extension of one and the other. For some strange reason, the church in Thyatira did not deal with challenge or confront and cast out the spirit the way Paul did. So in Revelation 2.18, you have the church of Thyatira basically having the same problem of having tolerated Jezebel.
Questions, comments? Either that or Paul dealt with it on a one-on-one level so that it would not affect his ministry, but the people who came after did not deal with it fully. So part of it was left behind and it began to grow because no one challenged it because this spirit does not leave unless confronted. Nevertheless. Let's move on to control and intimidation of the men of God. This is another one of those uh, things that this spirit is so good at doing. Guys, Jezebel targets men and women of God with the intent of silencing them or causing them to quit before time. Or basically, let me put it this way. This, the Jezebel spirit targets men and women of God, meaning you. And certainly men and women of God in leadership, meaning still you. Because some of you may not be walking in it yet, but you have the seed within you already. And in the, what does the spirit of Jezebel do? It tries to silence them. It tries to have them... Quit before their time. Have them quit before their time. And have them abort their destiny. Have them abort their destiny. Man, my arms aren't too long. I can't get to the end of my destiny. So, and how is this done? It's done through intimidation, it's done through slander, and it's done through immorality. It's done through intimidation, it's done through slander, and it's done through immorality. These are the ways that are introduced to abort destiny, to have people quit before their time, to silence people. You see Jezebel doing this with Elijah, one of the, not one of the, the foremost prophet of God was silenced and he uh, was forced to flee after his greatest victory on Carmel. Forced to flee. That's what his spirit was capable of doing. He did that with Naboth, who had a vineyard in First Kings 19, I think, or thereabouts, who had a vineyard he was falsely accused and put to death. You read that in First Kings 19 and um, sorry, First Kings 21, 11 to 5, 11 to 15. You read that, First Kings 21, 11 to 15. How is intimidation um, carried out? Usually through threats, control, manipulation, threats to their security, inst- instigating f- sufficient fear in leaders that. Listen, if you don't kowtow with us, you will have no security in this church. I was speaking to a pastor this morning. and the pa- No, not this morning. I was speaking to a pastor at midnight yesterday. I don't know why he thought he could call me at midnight. I was speaking to him at midnight yesterday. And um, he, a regional minister called him up and said to him, 
that you need to go and greet and meet these three people in the church. And the three people that the regional minister asked him to meet with, I'm not talking about Bob Cron, by the way, so don't jump to conclusions. The three people he asked the pastor to go and meet were the three most powerful power brokers in the church. And so the regional minister sends him to meet with these three, to kowtow with them and get tally with them, because he said, if you want to survive in this church, you have to suck up to them. Now, if that is the advice that one gives, and that is the start a pastor has in the church, I'm telling you, he's done before he's even started. Intimidation is through fear, yeah, the instilling of fear or instigating or provoking fear. It's through threats, it's through control, it's through manipulation. And it's exerted through boards, it's exerted through leaders like me, it's exerted through people like you, with the intent that compliance be given. If I begin to intimidate you, cause you fear, manipulate you and have you do things through any form of control you should leave this church because the moment you are afraid and you do something in this church something is seriously wrong you must leave because after that if it doesn't not don't leave immediately I might have one bad day but if you see it <laughs> but if you see it over if you see it over a sustained period of time. You know, um, Anne was supposed to speak. <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> Guys, when I said I wanted to rip off, is that I really didn't mean it. Okay, <laughs> just so you don't hold me to that. Uh, I just wanted to give him a shouting. Um, when Anne, um, Anne was supposed to preach on the first Sunday, I was away. I spoke to her. She said yes. Um, we talked about it. And then two days before I leave, she calls and says, that she's unable to do it. And she gives me a reason which um, I could have thought was insufficient. Regardless of what I thought, she calls me and says, I can't do it. Now, when she called me first, um, my reaction was not warm. It was, okay, Anne, uh, that's fine. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, I'll g get someone else. So I did let her uh, go without a problem, but my tone was not the normal warm Jacob tone. It was this, uh, tone that conveyed a sufficient degree of disappointment. Uh, disappointment would be a nice word. It was a little, <laughs> it was a li pardon, disapproval. disapproval or whatever the word. And then, as soon as I was finished and I put the phone down, I realized what I had conveyed. And so, five minutes later, I called her up, and she wasn't on the phone. And I left her another message saying, "I, I know who you are, and I know that if there was any way." You could do this. You would have done this. I've asked you many times in the past and we've done it without a second thought. And so I just want you to know that it's fine and I've asked someone else and they said okay. Because the, it would be horrible if I left that first impression with her. But I did not receive that impression. Great. So I was nicer than I thought. <laughs> and I let the cat out of the bag now. <laughs> and I've always felt such freedom. Praise God. Say it. Yeah. I just felt that the first, uh, uh, the first, when I first talked, that it wasn't the same warmth that I normally would deal with, and so I had to go back and do this. Why am I telling you this? Because 
the, the moment anything is done for you, it's anything you do in this church or anything is forced upon you, guys, be very, very, if it continues for a while, because it does not come from the spirit of Christ who, who loves freedom. It's one of his most cherished values, freedom. Yeah. Yeah. One, we will not allow it here. But see, one of the things people ask, and it's a very valid question, how do we stop it? One of the biggest ways of stopping these things is to teach about it. So that we will never let it happen here, nor will you let it happen in your house. And if those two areas can be taken care of, and third, you go and begin to teach this to some one other pastor, you got another church free. Hey, do you know what's happening at Eric's church? I'm telling you, man, four years of traveling with him for one hour from... Vancouver to Sumas. That's all the time we would spend. It is paying off in trumps. That boy will be running faster than us in less than three months. I'm on tape so I can't say some other things. (laughs) No, don't want that either. He is going through this in terms of the spirit of Jezebel trying to pull him down and he has learned how to confront it. So, it w- guys, remember that it can work through you and me. Here's the sad part. It's a spirit, but a spirit has to work through people. So, in a church, it will work through believers. When it works through unbelievers, it's called persecution. When it works through believers, it's called really dumb. But spirits work through people. So if I open myself to the spirit, you will be affected. If you open yourself to the spirit, I and the others around you will be affected. Works through you and me. Works in marriages, works in homes, works in organizations, works in households of faith. Works. You see it everywhere. But let's make this a Jezebel free zone. Starts here. You know, Roland Tan, you know him well. Roland was such a controlling husband that he used to be at the police training school during the day and he would come home on weekends. Margaret would get physically ill when she knew he was coming home. That is the power of the spirit in terms of control. Some of you have experienced it either through spouses or through fathers or through bosses or through even pastors or leaders, where when you come into their presence, you feel ill because you do not know how that control is going to manifest and how you're going to, um, what is going to be thrown your way and how you're going to handle it. And so there's only one thing you can do, two things you can do. You can either comply quickly so that you can avoid the hassle, or you can stand up. But when you stand up from a non-informed point of view, uh, it is difficult. And yet this has to be confronted. As husbands, watch it. As pastors, watch it. As parents, watch it. I have to ask myself these questions. Do I operate by control? What form does my control take? Am I intimidating? Am I aggressive? Am I confrontational? Do I try self-pity and sullenness? 
Do I have a critical attitude? Do I manipulate? Am I deceptive? With my mother, my sister, with you. My wife has only good things to say about me anyways. That's for the tape again. I'll be quiet. <laughs> yeah. The other thing, the other thing you should do is uh, to check if control. Um, uh, one of the things you should do is see areas in your life that you like controlling. I, I was telling someone this morning only that I have areas in my life that I, I'm, uh, that I'm very controlling over, and it's a, it's not a healthy thing. Just Pardon? No, not the window seat. I gave it up for those two girls, don't you remember? Um, but the point is, um, there are certain areas of my life that I find that uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not, they're, they're, they're very mundane things. I don't need faith for it, but I'm unwilling to let go of it to God, to do whatever He wants with it. I still want to control it, have a say in how it works out. And in those areas of my life, um, I need to release. Sometimes deliberately Throw things out of pattern. What kind of a person are you? Are you someone who can't handle a picture that is crooked on your wall? Because one day, you'll go into someone else's house and straighten their picture too. <laughs> if you don't do that in someone else's house, you'll do it in your daughter-in-law's house. Hey, by the way, some of the most controlling people, Dagmar is the only one I won't put in this category, are mother-in-laws. Some of the most controlling people are mother-in-laws who um, somehow relish dominating their daughter-in-laws. Oh, I. F <laughs> I'm a mother-in-law. <laughs> guys, guys, I, I forgot that there was Dagmar here. Too. I mean, Gisela here too, though she's sitting right in front of me. What I said, what I said, does not apply to Dagmar and Gisela. Gosh, I need to be fed. <laughs> okay, let, let me just let me just rephrase what I said. It doesn't apply to any of the in-laws sitting here. How's that? Yeah, no, I, I believe you, Gisela. In the sense. Oh, no. Yeah. 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 Um, authority and control. Uh, control is one forcibly exerted. Control demands compliance. Control um, doesn't come from a place of um, the kind of freedom that Christ gives. It's, it's not coming from there. It has no element of relationship or love in it. It is only a thing where I dominate because I want compliance. I manipulate so that I want compliance. That's the whole approach. So there's no freedom, there is no relationship, there is no freedom to walk away and say no. People do it now out of this horrible sense of fear in the pit of their stomach because they don't know what will happen if they don't. And the moment I take away your freedom to walk out of fear and not do what I tell you to, um, I'm not operating the same way as Christ. Because Jesus always allows you to walk away. 
when we become like Christ, our authority is respected. And in terms of actual Christ-like authority, it increases many times over. It increases. Satan is an enslaver. Christ is a freedom giver. Guys, remember that a man of like Elijah was unseated by the Spirit. So if you can abort an Elijah people on earth, you can delay preparing a people for the Lord. Remember in Luke 1.17 it says, And God will raise up Elijah, and he will be sent to prepare the way, prepare a people for the Lord. So if a people who are supposed to rise up like Elijah can be forced to abort their destiny and caused to flee, it will delay the preparation of a people of God on the face of the earth, which is one of the reasons why the Spirit is so active. Because if you remove an Elijah people on the face of the earth, if you want to call them a type of people. So when you refuse, yeah, I already said to you that when you refuse to comply, the person through whom this, through whom the Spirit operates usually resorts to confrontation with the intent to intimidate yeah, so l let me explain this way. If Matt refuses to comply when I intimidate him, there's only two things I'll do. One, I'll make it worse, or I'll try to compromise and appease him so that he can come alongside and he can actually think I'm on his side and then I'll intimidate him again later. This is the way the spirit works. We'll talk about that at the end. So don't worry about what I just said. Dealing with Jezebel. Because I looked at you as I was saying what I said and I realized that you weren't following me as I said what I said. So now we'll talk about it. Dealing with Jezebel. Guys, this, this Jezebel cannot be dealt with like Elijah did. Elijah couldn't handle the spirit. This spirit has to be dealt with in the strength or the lifestyle or the character of Jehu. It was not Elijah who caused the end of this woman called Jezebel. It wasn't Elisha. It was this lesser known guy called Jehu. So you got Jezebel. Who says her father is Baal. Who is noble. And then there is Jehu. Who basically, whose name means he is Jehovah, who is the self-existent one. Guess who will win this battle? A Jezebel can only be confronted by a Jehu. So how do you deal with Jezebel? Jezebel, Jezebel has to be dealt with early. Directly, completely, EDP, EDC. Jezebel has to be dealt with early, directly, and completely. Oh man, don't let the spirit have inroads into the church or your household or into your life if you uh, identify places of control and intimidation in your life that you use with people. Because I guarantee you, if that's your attitude, your children, however sweet they are today, will become the same when they turn your age. 
Jezebel has to be dealt with early, directly, completely, with zero tolerance. With zero tolerance. That's how it's been at Acts 29, guys. There have been times when I've seen this spirit raise its head in this house, and you've not even known it because I've come against it very strongly, and it has had to bow. No room. Zero tolerance for this spirit. Zero tolerance. Who does it work through? I told you already, it works through people like me and like you. Who intimidate, manipulate, slander, introduce error, cast off divine order, operate in self-authority, try to control, all those things we've talked about. Operates through people like you and me. So as James said, first person that has to examine himself or herself is me and all the mother-in-laws here. Sorry, I had to take that poke again. As wonderful as you mother-in-laws all are. And I forgot that you were a mother-in-law. Which is a compliment, by the way. Pardon? Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but if I offended you, <laughs> take it with a pinch of salt. Good. My mom's still praying. <laughs> uh, guys, you cannot deal with the spirit without dealing with the people being used. This is the only sad part. You cannot deal with the spirit without dealing with the people who are being used by the spirit. You cannot deal with the spirit without dealing with the people who are being used by the spirit. And it requires con conf confrontation. It requires aggression and it requires a flint like in your face resistance. It's the only way. You know some of the churches that I know are going through this problem at this present time if I were there today the only way I would be able to handle it is if I stood up and went up to them and confronted them in their face with aggression resistance and confrontation. As long as someone doesn't do that this thing will continue. Go ahead Valentina. Uh, because um, you cannot cast a spirit out of uh, leadership that has received it. They have to take a stance against it. They have to want to get rid of it. They want. Because, um, um, <laughs> yeah, the, the, we assume sometimes that just as we can take care of things in our lives and have something removed, that we can do it with um, a church or a power group or a leadership cannot because they have to be willing to when they have bought into it and have given a seat at the table to the spirit of Jezebel then it does not come through uh, anything except repentance and so confronting it will ex confronting them exposes the problem till you confront it it will not be exposed once you confront it it is exposed then there is room for repentance I know a church at present and uh, that uh, has been confronted with this. And when confronted with it, the church is operating in two ways. One week, the church will actually slander and accuse the pastors. They will um, spread lies about the pastor in the congregation. And they're using all kinds of intimidation tactics to take away certain salary, 
um, requirements, take away holidays. They're using methods like that to see if the pastor will come in line. The next week, and this is the problem with the spirit, it talks out of two sides of its mouth. The next week, they will come and say to the pastor, we love you, we want to help you become all that you are, uh, what can we do to support you? People will pull out money out of their pockets and say, just want to give this to you as a gift from the Lord. And so the second week, it is completely different. The third week, uh, the same people come and tell the pastor that we sense an air of confusion around you. And we want to help you. Uh, and they'll offer to come and mentor the pastor. And the fourth week, it's back to week one. I'm, I'm telling you about present personal experience. I'm not talking about something I read in a book. It's happening right now. This is the way the spirit works. Because remember, as Jehu is going towards Jezreel to confront Jezebel, what happens? Jezebel's son, Joram, comes out. He doesn't come out first. He sends two messengers. And you know what the messengers are asking? Do you come in peace? Because they want to see if there's any room for peace. Because they know this man is going to confront. So when the, whenever the spirit is confronted, the first thing it does is like the ancient negotiations that used to happen on the battlefield before. Before confrontation happened, they would send someone to see if there was any room to make peace. And the spirit will always do it. Whenever you challenge it. And I've, I know some of you experienced it where you came against this particular um, group of power mongers who are operating in the spirit. They will stretch out um, an olive branch. And you will take it because you are a man or woman of peace. And you don't want to get aggressive. You will take that branch and come alongside them. And for the next three or four weeks, everything will be calm. And then it starts all over again. So he sends the first messenger. And he says, have you come in peace? And the guy says, be quiet and ride behind me if you want to be on my side. Second man comes, have you come in peace? Be quiet and ride behind me. And so they are riding. This is in Second Kings 9. Finally, Joram himself comes. And he says, have you come in peace? And then Jehu says, how can there be peace as long as your mother, a woman of harlotries and sorcery, is still in power? He refuses to compromise or to accept appeasement or to make peace with this hostile, evil, demonic entity called Jezebel. It is the only way to confront the spirit. This is why churches are unable to do it. Because we take the, oh, but we should be brothers and sisters. And so it stays on for generations and generations and generations. Never make peace with this. So you have to learn. It's a fine tightrope to walk. Because you have to learn to confer sufficient words on the person being used. So that you don't tear down the person. But you do come against everything that person says. 